Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. Along with recommending the best products in real food, I like to be up to date on the best restaurants out there in terms of sustainability. We're seeing a growing number of restaurants sourcing as much local and organic ingredients as possible and being transparent about all of this to their customers. Here to talk with me about that is Brad Kent, founder of the soon-to-open Bagel and Slice Restaurant in Los Angeles. Brad, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you this morning. I appreciate having you on, and I'm glad you could fit us in as you are in the process of opening this new restaurant, which I know is one of the busiest times, although I know restaurant life is really busy in general. This may be the busiest time of all is before it's even open. To me, the building out process is more exciting than you know once you're running because oh, yeah. this is when you have all the opportunities to make decisions on who you are and how you're going to get there, forging relationships with all your distributors and ingredient suppliers, and in my case, like even directly right with the farmers. Absolutely. And I know you've been working a long time in the restaurant industry with lots of different types of restaurants, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in that? It's really a, an odd background, I think, a, a little bit circuitous to get me to where I am today, but actually every step along the way was necessary to get me to where I am today. I went to USC for undergraduate business marketing focus, and it was there that I started my first food business. I started a catering business doing appetizers while I was still in college. And I continued with that business until I decided to go to culinary school. And I went to CIA in New York, Hyde Park campus and studied culinary arts there. And I did a lot of work in fine dining, but I found that that environment wasn't exactly for me. My objective seemed to be more toward feeding the masses somehow. And I wasn't sure exactly what that meant at the time, it felt to me like it should have been designing retail products. So I tried to figure out how to get into retail product development. And as luck would have it, I was actually recruited out of CIA to do food product development. And well, not really food as we know them, but more as sports nutrition products for a company that sold nutraceutical ingredients to the nutraceuticals industry and sports nutrition industry. And I also formulated ready-to-eat products for them. From there, I moved on to find an amazing facility. Really, it's the folks that invented food science as we know it today. It's the U.S. Department of Defense. And I wanted to get a job there. I reached out to them. They told me that they had a hiring freeze for over seven years and there was no jobs available, but thank you for reaching out. And I said, well, that's not good enough. So I went around the horn trying to find out who was leading departments there, who was making decisions there. And I came upon a gentleman who uh, happened to be from California who took that as some sort of an interesting point of connection. And we talked a little bit deeper and he said, you know what, there might be a way to get you in here if you get a degree in food science and come in as an intern. So I went back to school, studied food science at Cal State Long Beach to get a degree there and applied for the internship program at Department of Defense. And then they created a position for me as their first ever research chef 
who would combine food, like technology plus culinary arts to make food more palatable to soldiers so that they would be at less of a risk when they're in the field because they would be better nourished than anybody else's armed forces. That's what got me to where I am today because that led to a job offer from a company that manufactured products for Trader Joe's and other natural foods companies. And that's what really got me into the natural foods industry. And uh, let's see, I started a pizza business called Olio Woodfire Pizzeria. We have a location at the Grand Central Market. And then I co-founded a pizza chain called Blaze Pizza with about 350 locations in about, I think it's six countries. We're in the Middle East, Canada, and 41 U.S. states. And really, this has all come to me opening Bagel and Slice, this corner location, neighborhood location, focusing on just doing good for the neighborhood, doing good for people. I've got two kids. I'm thinking much more seriously about the future of the planet, the future of my children, their children, and my neighborhood. And I realized that a restaurant has a much greater responsibility than to simply prepare food and sell it for hopefully a profit. I now understand after looking more internally at what a restaurant's role is, that a restaurant is a representation of that neighborhood. So when you're driving down a street and you see something that looks special, hopefully that neighborhood is it reflects how special that neighborhood is, and it reflects the values of that neighborhood, and it's inclusive like that neighborhood hopefully is. And that's what we're trying to build here is a restaurant that is both good for the neighborhood and good for the planet. And our focus is not profits. Our focus is staying in business so that we can serve others, including our staff, making sure that they have a much better living wage, better benefits, and hopefully a career that's not just a stepping stone to another job. I love your story. I've interviewed so many people with these 100-plus episodes of the podcast, and it never ceases to amaze me learning the backgrounds of these people that work in restaurants or in natural products and how they come from all different walks of life, sometimes things completely outside of food or something different than what they're doing now. So it's always interesting to hear those stories. You're talking about how you made this restaurant to suit the community of Highland Park, which is the neighborhood where I live in, so certainly someone like me who's doing this podcast, and when I met you a couple weeks ago at the pop-up, I was just so amazed at what you're doing because that is all of what I'm about, and I imagine you know a lot of these people moving to Highland Park now, the way the neighborhood is changing. I think there are a lot of other people like me, so I imagine that you saw that too, that this is the kind of restaurant that Highland Park deserves. Right. It's interesting that you bring up that point about people moving into the neighborhood. And that's something that was really brought to my attention from my landlord, which is Occidental College. They had me do something that I've never been asked to do. And I can't imagine many, if any, have ever been asked to do when you're sending in a letter of request or a letter of intent to rent a space. They asked me to write essays asking specific questions about how I will serve the neighborhood. And in particular, they asked the question about gentrification and you know, how do I feel about it? And do I feel like I'm part of the solution or part of the problem? And how am I going to serve the legacy neighbors that have been in that area for maybe generations? And that's what really struck me that Bagel and Slice is actually the perfect type of a concept for this area because not only can I serve people who care about vegan and vegetarian and sourcing and the planet and doing things right, but by offering the kind of products that we're serving, which are very familiar to 
all walks of life, bagels and pizzas, which is, you know, comfort food to people, but at a price that people can afford, even if they're on some sort of a, a limited income. That's what makes it special. We're focused on not making high profits. We have a commitment to not exceed 15% profit, which would be on the low side for a restaurant. And if we get there and, are, and we're highly successful, I will continue to reduce our profits and continue to increase the benefits and lower our sales prices so we can continue to keep our high-quality foods available to the neighbors, both that are generations old in that area and that are just moving in. That's amazing, and I think that really does appeal to the whole community because the thing is really nobody wants higher price, nobody wants inflation, and food is something that often gets ignored in the discussion of what's going up in terms of costs. We hear a lot about gasoline, we hear about property, but food rises too, and to my understanding, it actually rises at a quicker pace, I know, than gasoline, yet that doesn't get discussed. I know this firsthand. I've got a restaurant some of my costs have gone up over 100% in the last year. In that restaurant as well, I'm continuing to hold pricing. And what's incredible is my sales in terms of number of guests has increased, which is unusual in today's world when restaurant sales are declining. I attribute that to continuing to serve high-quality products at affordable prices because people's wages are not increasing at the same rate that the price of food is. So as long as we're able to continue to offer good wages to our staff, safe, delicious, well-sourced, well-thought-out food, I think that we will continue to see success in any business that I'm in charge of running. Do you see Bagel and Slice as a people-over-profits business? Well, there has to be profits in order to keep the lights on and also in order to promote what we're doing because what we're trying to do is not promote the business as much as we're trying to promote the model. We want to be the model for other businesses. I can't make an environmental impact with one restaurant. I can do a little bit, very little on a planet. But if what we're doing for good is something that can be shared and can be executed at other restaurant levels, for example, in a national or international chain, then that would be something I would be glad to share. Like, here's the, here's the game plan. Here's the book that I wrote about how you do it, and I'm hoping that others will be able to follow and continue to make regenerative organic and organic products more affordable and more accessible to all. Yes, I think you covered upon two things which I do see as the future of restaurants, so let's talk about each of them. First, let's start with just the general idea of more restaurants offering local organic products, farm-to-table as it's sometimes been called. Do you see that as the future of the restaurant business? I do. I actually think that some of the national chains that don't reflect those values will suffer in the next maybe 10 to 15 years because as the price of food continues to rise, as the knowledge of food quality and what's going into your body becomes more accessible and more known, when more research is revealed about what the quality of food in your body does to your body and also the impact of where you're sourcing your ingredients has, what it has on the environment, I do believe that people will vote with their pocketbooks and they will support businesses that are buying and supporting local businesses. And that includes local farmers and local distributors and local processors. Yes, I think we are seeing that already. The first step of it, I know it was a smaller scale, but if you look at a lot of the restaurants recently that have closed, filed for bankruptcy, yes, I know part of it is due to 
COVID and restaurants being shut down, takeout only, but I think it's actually more than that, that there are restaurants that found a way to adapt, and there's more than just restaurants were shut down due to the pandemic. If you look at a lot of the restaurants that have closed recently, it was because they're the restaurants that used a lot of frozen ingredients, didn't use as much fresh, and I think that was kind of the first step, but now we're getting more into not just demanding fresh ingredients, but demanding local ingredients, organic ingredients that are less processed, ingredients that we really know everything that's in them. There's so much to that because what's interesting, it's almost like a natural selection because what's happened in the distribution system and what happened because of COVID is food processors had to shut down many of them. And if they didn't have people to run the lines, they weren't able to produce food. If there weren't truck drivers to deliver the foods, you weren't able to get them. So distribution supply chain played a big role in what was available. So some of those restaurants that relied on those highly processed foods may not have been able to get them, and they may not have been equipped to make food from scratch. So that in itself could have been part of the reason. I don't think that's all the reason. I think that's a very small part of the reason, but part of it. And yes, absolutely, COVID also played a role in people learning to cook from home again. People making sourdough breads, you know, it became, it was almost a meme about how people were making so much food at home. (laughs) People know what good food tastes like. They know what natural foods taste like. And that, I think, played a role as well. Another part of COVID is that people were now working from home. They may not have been traveling as much for work. They may not have been going to the workplace and the workplace became their living room or their office at home. Therefore, they were eating more locally, and that also may have introduced them to, wow, this is tastier. I don't feel so sick after eating lunch. I don't feel tired after eating lunch because I was eating the processed food from the fast food place across the street from my office. So I think that all of that has played a role, and also you know, with the Internet and the speed of knowledge, the fact that there's so many beautiful photographs on Instagram and other social media channels where people can see what beautiful food looks like, you'll see that highly processed foods don't have the visual identity that fresh foods do. And I think that people want that food in front of them, not just on their video screen. I think so too. And then I think the other thing with COVID is, with COVID, sure, the way to avoid COVID, staying at home, quarantining, all important. But the other thing with it was people also did become more concerned with their health, with exercising more, and also with eating real ingredients. And with that, I saw a rise of people feeling it's more important to eat organic local ingredients for their health. Yeah, I agree. And also, there was a trend just a few years ago that was starting, and now it's kind of mainstream about functional foods and functional food ingredients, which is really where I started in food science in the 90s, was with nutraceuticals. And if you look at the nutritional value of eating food, first of all, whole foods, and that foods that have those micronutrients in them and that don't come from lands that are treated with chemical and other synthetic inputs, you end up getting foods that make you feel better and they make you maybe look better and they might make you have a better performance. So these are the kinds of things that I think are definitely influencing what's out there and what people are interested in. And I do think people have a great interest now in foods that are going to help them live a healthier life. I think organics and regenerative organics play a huge role in that. Yes. And that leads us nicely into the second part of what I was talking about earlier, which is the rise of regenerative agriculture and regenerative organic. Because for a while now, I think we've become very familiar with the idea of organic and everyone pretty much knows what it is. There's a lot more 
organic options that were 10, 20 years ago. So the new thing now is regenerative organic, which goes a step further because it's not just about what's sprayed on the vegetables and the fruits and what the animals are being fed, but regenerative is also about, for those listeners that may not be familiar with it, it refers to the soil and the health of the soil. And my question is, do you think, say, 10 years from now, regenerative organic will be the gold standard as opposed to just organic? I really hope so. You're giving me goosebumps because <laughs> that is the whole point of this whole thing that I'm doing here. That's the whole point of Bagel and Slice and the movement I'm trying to start. It's way bigger than a corner restaurant in Highland Park. I'm trying to change the food industry and be a part of that change. And part of that change that has to happen, no scare tactics here, it has to happen, is we have to move to regenerative as a major form of the farming and agricultural businesses that we use in the United States and worldwide because it is a way to reduce carbon emissions from the environment. It's a way to change, reverse climate change. These are the big benefits of what you're doing if you're buying organic, in particular regenerative organic products, is you're playing a part in helping to heal the earth. I know that sounds crazy, but it's real. And I'm working with USC in several roles, and one in particular that I'm trying to foster is a role with in either an engineering department or some sort of a life sciences department where we can actually go into the fields create a device to rapidly measure carbon sequestration at the field level so we can prove quickly and conclusively that regenerative organic farming actually helps heal the planet. So that's one of the things. The other thing that I want to play a role in is with sports nutrition, life sciences, to prove that consuming more nutrient-dense foods that come from regenerative organic farms have more bioavailable nutrients in them, which will help your body recover faster, which will help when you have a regenerative organic farm, the soil itself is more resistant to all kinds of things. It's more resistant to drought. It's more resistant to flood. It's more resistant to pests. The same holds true when you consume regenerative organic products. Your body is now imbibing and taking all of those nutrients from a soil that's rich with life and not full of chemicals. These are the kinds of things we need to change about our diet and the systems in which serve our restaurants and feed our country. A few months back on the program, I made a prediction that in 10 years from now, we wouldn't be talking about organic anymore and we'd be talking about regenerative agriculture. And I've discussed that with a number of guests, and I know some have said, well, they see both could exist because... They both serve their purpose. Now, back then I used the term regenerative agriculture versus organic, but I really like this term regenerative organic because it encompasses both in one. Yeah, well, regenerative agriculture, I'm afraid that there's no definition that's uh, clear for that. Regenerative organic, at least, is a certification process that, I you know, at least, what is it, two organizations are doing now to help 
clarify what you're actually getting if a product claims to be regenerative? I know some of the really large companies, Nestle. Right. Actually, I believe there's three. Okay, there you go. Yeah, you know better than me. Was it Nestle this week announced that they're going to be doing more regenerative products and Hormel is doing regenerative products. General Mills is doing regenerative products, but none of them are focusing on, well, actually Hormel through Applegate is focusing on organic regenerative, which is a little different. But my concern is that I don't want people to take advantage of this opportunity to greenwash what they're doing. And hopefully they're actually doing the right things for the right reasons. The right reason is to serve people better and to serve the planet better, not to serve profits. And that's where I have to draw the line and make sure that we're always focused on serving people and planet. As long as we keep that as like the guiding light and this is like the goal line is like, how are we serving all of those people and planet and things, then we were going in the right direction. Yes, and I know with the different ingredients for your food, you're looking for as much organic as possible. As you explained on your website, and I completely agree, it's impossible to be 100% organic, but you want to use as much organic products as possible, and even better when you can find regenerative organics. So what do you look for in terms of businesses to source with? So when I learned about regenerative organic, which was only maybe 14 months ago when I was first introduced to it, and so I'm still a very young student at it, it turned on a light in me and in my head on what we should be as human beings and that we need to look at soil as our model for how we live our lives and how we serve our communities. And if in the soil, all of these organisms can live together harmoniously and serve off of one another in a way that's going to make things better. And as a result of that, you get these beautiful pieces of fruit and vegetables and grains and things that are full of life. Why can't that be a model for how things are above the soil as well? So regenerative organic not only is how we look at the soil, but it should be how we look at life above ground as well. And what are some of the businesses that you're looking at sourcing at for the restaurant? Oh, I guess. Thank you for reminding me where I was going. (laughs) If a business is not treating its staff right, if a farmer is not treating its farm workers right, that is not living the regenerative model. So I look at everything that I have access to, and I wish that COVID wasn't here for so many reasons. One reason is I can't travel to visit the suppliers as easily as I would like to. I would like to visit every single farm, every single supplier to see, do they have excellent working conditions? Do they treat their employees with great care and affection and passion? Do they treat their facilities? What does their trash situation look like at their plant or where they're processing stuff? Are they managing trash in a way that's environmentally viable? How do they treat water waste? I have a food processing background, so I look at all of this. When you're looking at, like, even an onion processor, if you're getting onions out of the field and into your house, like, there's a lot of stuff that goes along the way that you don't necessarily see, that if you understood each step of the way, if they were doing all of the right things and working extra hard to do all the right things, I know there's a company called Gill's Onions, for example. Um, They both grow their onions and they process their onions, and they take their wastewater and they take all of the elements out of there that they can convert into biofuel and then they run the plant with that like that is a way of being that is just so much more conscious and so much more 
woke. Like that is the level that I want all of my suppliers to be. So I do as much research as I can. I'm only one person right now and I'm hoping to build a team and I'm super excited about that opportunity because people are really passionate about what I'm up to. And I'm confident that I'll be able to have people that will be dedicated to just validating sourcing from our packaging to our grains to our distribution system to make sure that they're treating everything that they can as carefully and mindfully of the future as possible and taking care of people along the way. Yes. And as your restaurant is called Bagel and Slice, that's referring to bagels and a slice of pizza. I notice, of course, both of those are foods which involve wheat. And the use of pesticides in wheat is a major issue. Do you think that that's a reason that a lot of people are unable to digest wheat? I would love to have an answer to that. I can tell you I believe so. I'm 52 years old. I grew up in an era where people didn't have the same levels of sensitivities that they do today. And I don't think that people have changed. I think our environment has changed. And I think that that's influenced how our bodies react to food. So I personally believe that it's a thesis. I don't have conclusive evidence yet. And I would love to gather that because I'd love to prove out conclusively organics are good regenerative organics are better and we've got to move in that direction i think that that's going to be a solution to solving a lot of these food sensitivities that we see our wheat the regenerative portion of our wheat is coming from a regenerative organic farm the farmer i know him he's actually delivers the wheat to our restaurant oh, wow. delivering it as needed so in his farm truck which is amazing so he uses zero inputs to grow the wheat. It's a no-till, no-irrigation, dry farm on the California-Oregon border. He goes there twice a year, wants to plant and wants to take the wheat. There's no input. So there's no fertilizers. There's nothing. It's just nature doing its thing. And the way he's able to do that is because he's got biodiversity on that property that maintains that balance so that foods grow. And don't just grow, but they flourish. And that is the way that we've got to move all farms in that direction. And we will see changes at the farm level and at the local level on climate. Yes, and I think that's wonderful that it's from the state of California because that's also an issue with wheat is where to source it. It shows that there are wheat farms in California because I know a lot of it is in Montana, which isn't the worst either because that is, for us at least, because that is the West so not too bad either. Do you try as much as possible to have ingredients that are local or if not local, say, because not everything can come from Southern California, to have ingredients that are, say, regional? Yes. I would love, like we have locks. I would love to have smoked salmon that's grown in California, but it's just not the right climate for it. So we do our best to make sure that we're buying the most mindfully sourced ingredients that have the lowest possible carbon footprint. So that's the goal. The goal is to be carbon negative as a restaurant. And I think that we can get there. I, again, I don't believe in all those calculations and things. I'd rather just serve good stuff, prove what we can, work with educational institutions to help prove some of these theses so that we can encourage more businesses to go in the direction that we're going, which is regenerative organic and organic and take care of your employees, take care of your neighbors, take care of your neighborhood, get involved with the community, serve the underserved so that everyone has an opportunity to enjoy delicious, 
healthful foods that are not just good for you, but good for the planet. Plus, as we've been talking about all show, this is still a relatively new thing, regenerative, as well as restaurants serving more local organic ingredients. So I imagine that really an overall message of Bagel and Slice is encouraging more people to do this. And as your business succeeds, this should then encourage more people to have local businesses get these ingredients. And over time, I imagine that the place will become more locally based in terms of sourcing. That's the idea. We just need to get more of these ingredients produced locally so that we can have them. The other thing is the reason that I'm not doing 100% regenerative organic wheat in our bagels and pizzas is because wheat is a seasonal agricultural item. So our wheat will change seasonally. So if I were to change 100% of my wheat two or three times a year, our bagels and pizzas would be different completely two or three times a year. And unfortunately, the public's not ready for this. So I'm trying to ease people into what we're doing so that we can get them started on it. And then we will continue to increase the amount of regenerative products in our bagels and pizzas. And at some point in my future, I would love in my lifetime to be serving 100% organic regenerative products. That's a very good point that you can't just change the way they taste because that was really the origin of fast food in the first place was wherever you go, this food tastes the same anywhere you are in the country or the world. That is such an interesting point. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. And you know what that is that that's the problem. That's what food processing and food science did. They wanted to make food safe, available year round, and very consistent. And wow, they succeeded at that. The problem with that is packaging. The problem with that is carbon output into the environment. The problem with that is not supporting local farmers and not supporting local businesses because if I want to get blueberries right now, you know what? The blueberries are out of season in California. They're certainly out of season in Michigan and Wisconsin. And if I want to get them, I'll get them from Chile. And is that right? I mean, yeah, maybe you can even do that with a low carbon footprint and you can calculate it out and make yourself sleep at night. But maybe you should just eat the delicious stuff that's in season now because there's nothing wrong with it. It tastes good because we're coming out of tomato season and getting into squash season. Squash are delicious. So let's enjoy them when they're in season and let's eat local. Yes. And as you had mentioned about packaging, I know that's often another major practice that we're seeing more with the restaurant industry is reducing waste. So in what way will Bagel and Slice be working to reduce its waste impact? Oh, it's such a challenge. And this is why I'm working so closely with the USC Global Supply Chain Management at the Marshall School is because we all understand that the supply chain is broken. What I mean by that is we don't have much of a choice. If I wanted to open a restaurant, a single restaurant, I have zero buying power or extremely limited buying power. So if I want to use a completely compostable piece of cutlery, I can't afford it unless I wanted to go out of business. You're not going to buy a bagel for 8 or $9 with no toppings on it. It's not going to work. We have to figure out how to make compostables, uh, biodegradable pop packaging much more accessible, much more affordable. And the best way to do that is to get it into these larger distribution systems so that we can filter that cost savings down to single-unit operations. Bagel and Slice were committed to having everything compostable or biodegradable for packaging for our products that we sell. And then our relationship with our suppliers, because it's so small right now, we don't have a lot of input in what they package their products in. I prefer to get things that are packaged in glass and metal so that those can be recycled more easily and that they actually 
truly do get recycled. I know that plastics, for the large part, do not get recycled. It's too expensive of a process in the U.S., and the recycling centers in California are not doing their best to recycle 100% of it. So I'm trying to eliminate that by my choices, but because of the problems with the supply chain, some manufacturers just don't package any other way. And if I want to have certain products, I will keep them as limited as possible to make sure that my impact is as minimal as possible. We'll also be partnering with Dental College, who is our landlord, with their composting program. So that's another way that we'll be working to reduce waste. I've also introduced, we have an ozone generating system in the restaurant, which will be used at night when it's unoccupied only to disinfect every surface, every crack and crevice. We'll be using ozone O3 gas, which oxidizes into O2 and free oxygen. So it's absolutely good. There's no chemical residue with using ozone. And we'll also be using ozone as our surface sanitizer and disinfectant. So we're not using chemicals. So that's another part that we're playing in that role. We're not going to be bringing in gallons of plastic jugs of chemicals that are going to go into our waste stream. We'll be using generated ozone that's made in-house with electricity and water. And that'll be our disinfectant. It's much more effective than chlorine bleach. Yes, ozone is great process. And I know a number of like nature paths that like to use it and some holistic dentists. So I've got to learn somewhat about ozone. I'm a huge fan of it. I'm hoping that it's going to be the thing that proves out to be affordable for other restaurants. This is something I dug into my family's savings to put this system in because I believe in food safety that much. I believe in the safety of both of our employees as well as for the public, especially in this COVID environment and an environment that also had foodborne illnesses and pathogens that we're trying to eliminate and, and reduce so we make a much safer environment for our guests and our staff. That's one of the major reasons that we put this very expensive system in, besides it's chemical-free, which I love. Me too. In terms of ingredients, we've been talking about the wheat you're sourcing. So now, as his program is called The Appropriate Omnivore, and I know that, like you said, you will be serving the vegan community, but I know there will also be meat and dairy. So in terms of Sourcing those products, what are you looking at? So I would love to see more accessible co-products that would work. In particular, I haven't found a great organic regenerative cream cheese. So we'll be making our own cream cheese in house. Oh, wow. Nice. It looks like we'll be starting with Strauss Dairy. I know Strauss is a very good yes, they proponent are. of protecting the environment and treating animals properly and well. And they also treat their employees really well. I would love to work also with Alexander Farms for the dairy, but it looks like Joss might be easier for me right now. Again, the distribution system is broken, so I can't just pick and choose who I use 100% of the time. I can only pick and choose who my distributors carry. I'm forcing some products into distributors because I've expressed how interesting the products are, and they think that they can find other customers for them. So that's one way of getting products in, and that's something I'm doing. So anyway, that's on the dairy side. As far as the meat side, I recently found a distributor and processor of uh, regenerative ranched meats. They have poultry, both turkey and chicken, and they also do pork processing with heritage breeds of pork that are also treated as good as a life can be for an animal that's going to eventually you know, be on the plate. We want to make sure that everything is on the up and up on the farm side of this. And, and this partner is someone that I trust that does all that research. There's, they say that they reject more 
partners than they bring in to source from because they're so cautious about making sure that the animals have the proper treatment and the proper life when they're helping on the farm. And part of the whole regenerative life cycle, you've got to have animals in the system. It can't be animal-free. If it's animal-free, then you're going to have to rely on chemical inputs, whether they be organic or not. Animals play a big role in making the soil more fertile so that things can grow. So they have to be part of the system. Yes, that is an important part of having healthy soil is you have to have the animals. I see them as the hero in all of it. They are. They are. And I wish we could celebrate them in a way that wouldn't offend people. People are very sensitive to animals and animal rights as we are. But we will be serving pork products and eggs from free-roaming chickens. And we're going to do our best to make sure that everything has a proper life, including the people working on those fields. Right. I think back to Michael Pollan, who was the one that got me interested in all of this in the first place. And he said a couple of things along what we're talking about, that these animals that are raised on pastures, they have one bad day, the day they die. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of these animals, they wouldn't be able to survive themselves in the wild. So what we do is we give them a great life living on these open pastures where they're able to survive better than they would outside of it. And in exchange, we have them as our food. Right. They serve a purpose and that purpose is not to be food. That's the difference of regenerative ranching versus those feedlots. That's not what the life cycle and lifestyle is for the animals that are going to be regeneratively ranched that we'll be using. So yes, they're used in a much more beneficial way for the farming. That's their primary role. And then their secondary role will be to be converted into food. Yes, they're using the farming method that was done naturally before industrialization. And that's how agriculture works. We can't really change the agriculture system. Millions of years have relied on animals providing the healthy soil and just being a part of the process that we really can't change that without any kind of man-made inventions. I know, and I wish we didn't have to be so apologetic about that. Yeah, well, I do, I don't, because uh, I don't know, I guess that's part of the focus of the program, but <laughs> I, well, so, yeah, I don't I'm know what to say from there. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, well, I, well, I don't know what my show would be if we didn't do that, but well, <laughs> I don't know. On the other hand, oh boy, you have me in kind of a conundrum because everything would be exactly how I'd love it to be. And then, well, I don't know. I would have to do a show on movies or something else because all my work here is done. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yes. So we talk about obviously the two big things with the restaurant bagel and the pizza what are some other menu items that we'll see there? So we will be serving an omnivore's diet, probably a little more heavily leaning on the carb side with our bagels and pizzas, but we'll also have delicious, thoughtful salads. Those will be local ingredients. They have to be because those ingredients have a long shelf life, and our salads will be really, really delicious. We'll be also having a lot of vegan options. I don't think of veganism as something that should be an afterthought when you're designing a menu for a restaurant. I think vegetables are delicious, and I think that we need to accentuate how delicious they are. I'm not about extracting proteins from soybeans to create a fake meat. I'm more about creating delicious flavors from roasting and concentrating vegetables in a way that gives them a beautiful texture and savory flavor that would complement pizzas and bagels and be good on their own. So that's the way that we approach our vegan items. That we will also have a plant-based cheese, plant-based cream cheese, and what else? I think we'll have a few dessert items, but not too many. We're a small restaurant that's already looking at the restaurant business a little differently by actually 
having two restaurants in one, one that's literally dedicated to bagels and bagel products, breakfast products, and another one that's completely dedicated to pizzas. So it is going to be a changeover at a certain time of day when we switch from bagels to pizzas, and that's a complicated enough procedure that we don't want to clutter up the walk-in with anything but you know, long fermented dough, so we will not be offering entrees of salmon or beef or anything like that. Pasta, we will not have. Those are both great items, pizzas and bagels. So what made you decide specifically on these two? So I'm Jewish, and I wanted to keep the tradition, and this is before bagels really had this resurrection of importance in the world. We're seeing like this bagel renaissance, not just in Los Angeles, but across the country, and my interest in bagels started before I was doing pizzas. Early 2000, I was doing bagel development. And the reason I stopped doing bagel development was because it was complicated. And I started focusing on pizzas because it was a little bit easier. And that got me into the pizza business. But all the while, I had continued to play with bagels until I came up with something that I really thought was great and that I should share. And the reason I never opened a bagel restaurant prior is because the bagel restaurant typically only has a half of a day of business. And in today's economy, with the cost of rent and the cost of doing business, and in order to pay a living wage to your staff, you're paying rent 24 hours a day, whether or not you're open or closed. So if I can be a much more profitable business, then I can afford to pay people more. And I had to figure out a way to fill that second day part with something else. And I already knew pizzas quite well. And Lo and behold, pizzas use the same ingredients as bagels, so why not just do the same out of the one restaurant? And that's how I came up with the idea. I, so I wanted to keep you know, the history, the legacy of bagels alive. I wanted to do it the right way, the original way, where they're hand-rolled, they're baked on a deck, they're not in a convection oven. Bagels should never be put in a convection oven. No, no, do all no. the right things and just pay the same level of respect to pizza, where pizzas, again, they should not be put in a conveyor oven. They should be baked on a deck on a stone. Ironically, that's exactly how bagels are baked. So why not use the same equipment? Again, thinking about the environment, in a restaurant, you're heating up an oven to, I don't know, 550, 600 degrees, maybe even higher if you're doing pizzas. And then at night, that oven cools down and you waste all that energy. That's inefficient. And if you could be much more efficient by keeping the heat on, you can be a much more beneficial business to the environment. So that's another reason that I thought that bagels and pizzas made sense. My wood-fired pizza place, we build a fire every day with wood. And this is before I had that mindset. But I think I love about the wood-fired business is that it's from the agriculture business. So it's almond and walnut logs from California, from the trees that are trimmed that are growing nuts. And that is, that one, that's a relatively carbon neutral business because we're completely burning off the emissions. If you look at the smoke off of a wood-fired pizza oven, it should be absolutely clear because it's that hot. It's different than grill. It's different than a barbecue smoker. So I thought about doing a wood-fired bagel and pizza place in Highland Park, but when COVID hit, I really thought that it made more sense to be as clean as possible without having to touch wood. I think people just without seeing the soot that's on the front of the oven, these are all things that I think people associate with dirt. And I wanted to be this pristine, clean environment coming off of COVID. And that's why we moved to an electric pizza oven and bagel oven. I'm Jewish as well. So bagels for me, I've been eating them as long as I could remember. And we are seeing a big bagel renaissance. I know a lot of them in LA 
are using organic ingredients, which I think is a great thing. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's great. Two of them that I know of that are organic, you know, one of them is a very special bagel-type product. Yeah, I think it's great that people are using organic flours, especially because, again, as you said earlier, you don't know what's getting sprayed on field, in particular, it's the glyphosate that concerns me, Roundup type of ingredient that would not be allowed in the organic field. But I really want to move to regenerative organic. And I think that the more regenerative organic products we can put into our bodies and into our wheat product, the better that will be. And I think that the other thing that's amazing about this regenerative wheat is is it's extremely flavorful. So you'll find that our bagels and our pizzas have a very nice wheaty flavor. We're actually putting in whole grain. When other people are making bagels and they're not using whole grains, you don't get the full benefit of all of the vitamins and nutrients that are in the wheat. And so we're getting that benefit from the whole wheat, regenerative organic grain that we're putting into all of our baked goods. It's actually going to all of our baked goods. Even our gluten-free will have a whole grain, regenerative, gluten-free ingredient added to it. What will be the ingredients in your gluten-free products? So the gluten-free, I'm actually starting a separate business for that because I'm so excited about the results. The product is amazing. And so that will be our gluten-free base that we'll use for all of our baked goods. It's a certified gluten-free wheat starch is the foundation ingredient. And then in addition to that, it will have, I think seasonally, I have to see the availability of the whole grain gluten-free ingredient that we'll be using right now. I'm using buckwheat, so it's got about 10 to 15% buckwheat in there, and the rest is mostly gluten-free wheat starch. I'm trying to make that organic. It's hard enough to get the ingredients right now because of the supply chain challenges. In fact, I've been waiting on ingredients for about three months. Again, it's a tough world we're living in right now, but I really want to make sure that we give the people that are sensitive to gluten. We are not a celiac-friendly environment because we have gluten in it, but our gluten-free ingredients will all start being, I have a friend that has a certified gluten-free facility. She'll be blending those ingredients together for us. So it'll be gluten-free until we get it. And then there's always a chance of cross-contact in our facility, but it'll be extraordinarily low. It'll be trace amounts of gluten in anything that we produce there. I think it's very important that you're using organic ingredients in your gluten-free products, because I found that a lot of things marketed as gluten-free They're really not at all natural or or organic, but a lot of people seem to think they are because it has the words gluten-free on it. (laughs) Yes, I don't know what that is either because gluten is not bad, especially the gluten that we're using from this regenerative, organic, and in many cases, heritage grains. So yeah, I agree. Gluten is not necessarily the enemy. Some people have sensitivities to things, sensitivity to chocolate and eggs, and I know that I just met someone who I work with who's allergic to pork. She gets hives from it. So people are sensitive to different things. I'm so excited about the formulation that I developed for this gluten-free bagel because it will give people who remember eating a glutinous bagel the experience with the crunch and the chew the light, airy texture. It's so different from anything that I've ever had. That's why I'm doing a separate business for it, because I think that it has a really great potential for being something that others can use. It does, because like you said, there isn't a reason to fear gluten, and I do promote gluten products on my program, but I also do understand that there are some people that can't handle gluten. I have some people in my family that can't. So I completely get it, and it is important that we have gluten products that are truly organic and use real ingredients. They're not just using a bunch of processed ingredients for it. Right. I mean, unfortunately, in order to make wheat starch, you have to remove the gluten. 
So there is processing involved. It also removes the germ and the bran, so you're little just left with the starch. So that degree is processed. And I, someone was asking me, like, what does processed food really mean? I was just being interviewed for a publication last week. I said, well, you know, if you go fishing and you catch a fish, and if you don't eat the gut, gutting that fish is processing it. So you're always taking things away. You're adding things, converting flour to pizza dough is processing. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And it depends what you add and what you do to it whether that processing is bad. Fermentation makes foods much more bioavailable and digestible. It increases our gut health. I love fermented products. Fermenting even a gluten-free product, you know, that may have been devoid of the protein, it may have been devoid of some of the nutrients that were inherent to the wheat product by just extracting out the starch, I'm adding back at least a whole grain regenerative, in this case, it'll be a heritage variety, buckwheat. So we're getting those nutrients pumped back in. We're getting some fiber, we're getting some nutritional value. Otherwise, gluten-free products in general tend to be devoid of nutrition. They're just pretty much straight carbohydrates and maybe carbohydrates and fat. Yes. So I know your restaurant is going to be opening soon, hopefully within the next month. After that, do you have any future plans in terms of expansion of Bagel and Slice? So my involvement with USC First is kind of a test. I want to see if we can get the educational institutions interested in what we're doing so that we can use Bagel and Slice as a model for future restaurants. Among those things that we want to study is I want to show that, first of all, an electric kitchen is a much more efficient kitchen. It is the kitchen of the future. I know that in Berkeley, California, they outlawed gas appliances in commercial kitchens. I think in kitchens that were built, I don't know if it's after September 1 of this year or maybe it was August 1, but it's very recently. And Berkeley and California, the coastal parts of the country, tend to be the parts of the country that set the stage for what the future looks like. And I think that you know electric appliances is going to be something that we should be looking for seeing completely in restaurant kitchens. So I want to study efficiencies of those pieces of equipment to see how we can design a better restaurant that's much more energy efficient, much more comfortable for the staff to be working in. I want to see if this ozone plays a role. I know that there's been studies showing that when you have ozone used for hand wash alone, that employees have less sick days. So it's more efficient for both the employer and the employee, and people are more more well. Like Wellness is great and important. I'd love to study that to show that that's something that's useful for industry, and so we can expand that. You know, and that's just the beginning. You know, I want to talk about like all the regenerative stuff that we're trying to do. I want to show that eating and supporting regenerative agriculture and agricultural products is not just good for you, but it's good for the planet and good for the farmer and good for the farm worker that are no longer exposed to the chemicals that they'll be working in. If we can prove all this stuff out, we need to continue to build. I would love to see bagel and slice or bagel and slice type restaurants at every educational institution on the planet because there we can continue our work studying and looking at new things, new ways of doing things to improve our model so that the restaurant business will constantly be looking to do the right thing and they'll have access to provable facts on what they're doing is right. And so, yes, we can't stop at one location. We have to grow because it's the only way we're going to make an impact on the environment and on building better and stronger communities. You're definitely speaking my language with the electric kitchen because when I bought my house in Highland Park 
and I needed a new oven and stove. I actually had the line changed from gas to electric. I had an electric stove put in there because I knew at one point, as I do now, the house would be running on solar, so I have an electric yeah. kitchen. <laughs> and renewable, I understood from talking to a professor of engineering at Occidental College just a few years ago, he told me that over 51% of the energy back then in California was already renewable. He expected that to go to 100% within the next 10 years. So that would be eight years from now if his projection is correct. That means that electricity will be cheaper than gas. That means that electricity will be cleaner than gas. And that means that our restaurant kitchens will be cleaner with less emissions for people to be breathing in. So it's a more healthy environment for people to work in and way more comfortable because if any of you have worked in a kitchen, full of heat, it's a very uncomfortable space. But when you're working with induction, that creates absolutely no heat to the environment. It only heats the pan that you're cooking on. And you don't have all of those noxious fumes coming off of the stove, not only in the form of carbonized food, but also from the gas being burned. You're creating a healthier environment for the people working there, as well as what's going out your exhaust hood into the environment around you. Look at exhaust hoods of restaurants that you're driving by and see what's coming out. Hopefully you'll be seeing nothing out of ours at all because it's just going to be steam from making bagels and pizzas. Lots of hope for the future with everything we've talked about in this past hour. We're just about out of time, but before we go, let the listeners know where they can go online to learn more about Bagel and Slice. Well, we update our Instagram page, which is Bagel and Slice. B-A-G-E-L-A-N-D-S-L-I-C-E at Bagel and Slice on Instagram. And so we were always posting there and I try to be as interactive as possible. I think it's going to get a little hard when we open up. And then our website, which is www.bagelandslice.com. Do people even say www anymore? I feel like I'm getting probably old. It's, but it's bagel and I still say it, but I'm no spring chicken either. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a page there that has frequently asked questions. And then we have our email is there as well. And I'll be answering questions if you have any questions about where we're sourcing. And if anyone has any recommendations, like, hey, there's this great farm you should be buying from. I care about human health and food safety. So... I want to source only from mindful people. So I love the idea of buying local, but if we can't trace it and we can't assure that it's going to be food safe, we can't serve it. So again, that's one of the reasons that we have to make sure that we're sourcing from very reputable sources. But yes, I answered your question and then I answered another one for myself. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. It's been wonderful having you on. Learned so much. Well, thank you so much. I love that what you're doing and helping to spread the word about regenerative organics in particular, about eating an omnivore diet, which I believe in. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to do it. If oh, one totally. person does, has 100% vegan, another person has 100% carnivorous and balance out with omnivore, I love that. And I think that that's the right way to go. Me too. Thank you again. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are now released every Wednesday. I'm off next week, but we'll return in two weeks to interview Dave Greening of Organic Valley. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed. <laughs>